welcome to the CMO Whisper Show. I'm your host, Steve Olensky. Part marketing practitioner, part ad agency veteran, part journalist. I was a writer for Forbes for 10 years. I've had so many insightful conversations over the years with business leaders, to athletes, to celebrities, to, of course, CMOs. The only difference now is instead of sharing those insights through written form, I'm doing it this way. My guest this week is Bruce Hershey. Yes, as in the Hershey Kiss, Hershey Candy Bar. Uh, you get the deal. Actually, I think he is a descendant. Anyway, Bruce has over 30 years of marketing experience, and he's held various leadership roles responsible for marketing, strategy, and growth on both the client and agency side. In 2019, Bruce won the highly coveted CMO of the Year Award. Here's my conversation with my dear friend and my brother, Bruce Hershey. Please welcome my brother from another mother, Bruce Hershey. Hey, Steve-O. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate that. So exciting to finally have the CMO Whisper loud and proud. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. You've been one of my biggest fans for so many years pushing me to do this. So I am super pumped about the show. I'm even more super pumped to talk to you about the world of marketing. Okay. The first question I ask everybody, and I mean everybody. What's the difference between marketing and advertising? Great question. So look, I look at marketing as the hub, right? I think, you know, if you talk about a wheel, right? You talk about all the disciplines within marketing, marketing is the hub, right? Then you have all these spokes, right? One of those spokes is definitely advertising, right? And it comes in many shapes and forms. And it's only gotten better with technology, right? And of course, new innovations on how to be able to advertise to the right audience. So that's the difference. Think about marketing as the strategy and then advertising as a mechanism to drive that strategy through profitability, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, again, as I tell everybody, there's no right or wrong answer, right? It's very subjective how you define that, right? I mean, look, you know, I have a degree in marketing and advertising, right? And so... I did both because I wanted to understand both sides of the equation because one definitely feeds the other. You don't have to show off with your degrees, you know. It's fine. Well, you know, look, my daughter's a senior at University of Tampa. And she's like, Dad, I need to have a, a minor. I'm like, you do? Like, okay, so what's it going to be? So. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot I want to unpack with you, and we're not going to probably get to all of it today just because we have so much in common and we talk so much anyway. But the elephant in the room right now for so many marketers, as you know, and I know, is AI, right? And the analogy I use is it's the classic pool analogy, right? Who's going to jump in, dive into the deep end? Who's going to dip your toe in the baby pool? When I say AI, right, and marketing, you know, what comes to mind off the top of your head kind of thing? That's a great question. I mean, for me, right off the top of my mind is that there's a potential for something to not go right. Mm, okay. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Look, marketing and advertising or marketing as a whole, if you will, is really based off of science, right? And art, right? There's a combination of that, right? And we as marketers always look for the data, right? To help us make informed decisions on what we're doing. doesn't matter if we're developing a strategy. doesn't matter if we're copywriting, if you will. Right, or trying to keep a new creative way to engage our target audiences, if you will. That usually has a little bit of human touch, right, to it, obviously. 
And look, we're going to have human error, but that's why we test, right? And that's why it's so important that we do test, right? And the technology that System One has to bring that testing together is something that a lot of marketers don't really touch a lot, right? They're like, we're just going to go, we're going to work this, but that doesn't work. You got to test, right? So to me, if you try to break the two apart, AI is great. My fear is that it's going to allow marketers to get a little lazy and not really try to strive and look into the data, right? Look, for, I don't know, 15, 20 years, the word data, data, then what, 10 years, big data, big data, right? And so, but now it's all these conversations about data. If we actually leverage them, you know, it will actually work, if that makes sense. So we don't have to rely on the AI technology to bring us through. I think it can help us at some point, but don't let that be the only way in. Let it be part of how you inform your strategy. Yeah, John John Kieran, the founder of System One, he spoke in, I think it was Bulgaria, not long ago. And he used the word tool as, you know, marketers should look at AI as a tool. And I like that approach versus where you're going with that kind of cautionary tale, not to put words in your mouth, of being over-reliant and over-dependent on AI. Yeah, I mean... That's my fear, right? And it is another arrow in your quiver. That's how you should look at it, right? Using John's analogy of tool set. It's just another tool. It's how much you want to leverage or not, right? I mean, I think of it, I've heard, oh, AI was used to create these ads, if you will, and those ads won over a human creating to do it, if you will. And I'm like, did it really? I mean, what are we trying to strive for? Is it really going out to the same thing? It could have. And if it did, high five, slam dunk. Let it ride. But my fear is, is that we're missing that human nature. We're allowing it to push forward and take away potentially some of the amazing creative minds we have in advertising marketing today. Yeah. And that's a really good point about the collective knowledge and experiences that so many people have. You know, that's a real concern, I think, to just brush it all aside and say, okay, we're just going to use AI to basically do everything. So I'm totally with you. I've even had not marketers, but operators say, hey, you know, people that I know that are are looking at AI to do their social. They're like, it's so easy. It's Mm. awesome. You know, I can just do this and cut the door. I go, yeah, is it working though? Are you losing that human touch? Right. (laughs) And so that's my cautionary tip. Yeah, it's exactly. The word lazy is so appropriate to just, you know, set it and forget it. You know, for those who remember the old Ronco days from the 70s and 80s, the Ron Popeil <laughs> said it and forget it. Yes, I'm showing my age. Right? right, right. So. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Let me pivot here. I know you're very passionate about leadership. And like me and so many others, you've been in a lot of different roles. You've worked with a lot of different leaders of every type of personality. And you have your own way of being a leader. Let me just start with a very basic question. What makes for a good leader? Having empathy. Having the ability to not only uplift your team and get them thinking that they can do and undertake anything, but also making sure that that team fully understands that they have the key, right? You've given them the key, the kingdom, right? Depending on the disciplines that you have them running, and that they have the ability to make mistakes quickly. Mm-hmm. We want mistakes happening. That means we're trying, right? I think some people, oh my God, I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. What are you apologizing for, 
right? And so for me, you got to have empathy. You got to make sure that you give your team the keys to the kingdom, if you will, right? And at the same time, make sure you're always coaching and mentoring them, right? Don't be a leader that sets it and forgets it, sort of like we've heard before in the past. Like I set the strategy, I got my team right up and I forget it. Keep engaged with your team. You'll be surprised on what they come to you with, uh, what they've uncovered and where they're thinking. You may be surprised, right? Because I can tell you right now, if you do not embrace your team and encourage them, right? And help and guide them to be successful, they're just going to be a team that floats, right? I look at this, my symbolic system, you heard me talk about the key, Steve. So I remember when I joined Tailored Brands, right? And I got a very diverse cross-functional team. It was amazing, but they were floating before I got there. They didn't really have a leader that understood them that would give them not 10 minutes, but would give them an hour of their time. And not only talk to them about what's on the agenda, but also how can we make them better? How can we become a better leader mm. themselves, right? For their teams. So my symbolic system was actually, I went and got these cool, I think it was, I had seven direct reports. I had seven of these. I went to the flea market, I think it was, or a, whatever it was. I found these really cool old keys. And I gave each individual leader their own key. And that was their key to the kingdom. I trust you with my life, right? Our relationship is open, right? And you can say whatever you want to me, but we're going to get through it, right? We're here to do a job. We're here to win, right? And if we lose a little bit on the way, great. That means we're going to get better and better and better. I'm always reminded of, there's two Steve Jobs quotes that I always refer back to, and I think they're from him. The one is, I never want to be the smartest person in the room. And the other one is he told a story about, I think it was the early days of Apple and they are hiring a bunch of people and he called them together and said, listen, we don't hire you to tell you what to do. We're hiring. So you tell us what to do. That's right. You know, that's right. I love that. I love that. Absolutely. Right. And for me and Steve, you've heard this, but I have a couple of acronyms that I've used right throughout my career. Mm-hmm. as I have the three L's and I have the three B, right? And I started the three L's with my daughter. It was something that I thought it was really important to her. So every day before she'd get ready to go to school, you know, we would, hey, make sure you, you focus on the three L's today. What are they? Lead, laugh, and learn, right? And to mm-hmm. this day, mm-hmm. you know, she has definitely embraced those things, right? She doesn't follow, she leads, right? She laughs, right? And she's always learning. Right. And I said, you never know what you're going to stop learning. So as I, as I evolved a little bit with that and brought that more in a professional manner, I looked at the three B's, right? And the three B's are very similar in nature. They're actually a little different, right? And the the first B is be bold, be brave and be brilliant. Right. Mm. And I say that a lot to my team, right? My teammates, you know, they ask me a question. I go, are you being bold enough? Are you being brave enough? right? Mm. You add a little bit more to that, be a little bit more brilliant, right? Be different, right? Stand up, right? And as you heard when you read a little bit of my bio, you know, I want them to be curious. I want them to be always asking yeah. questions to uncover, you know, something that maybe not have had a chance to be uncovered before. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And you can't say that enough, right? You can't reiterate that enough to your team. You can't, you can't, you can't. Yeah. Absolutely not. So, one of the things you and I talk about all the time amongst the many things is this world of omni-channel that we're into. And there's so many platforms, there's so many different ways to connect to consumers. It gets a little overwhelming, right? It does. 
from your perspective as a marketer, yeah, you know, tops of gas pumps, right? I mean, it's everywhere. From your perspective as a marketer, as a CMO, is there too much? Can a brand use too many platforms? I think that's my first question. And then the follow-up is, how do you know which platforms to use, right? Is it merely a matter of just testing? And I don't mean to make that simplistic, but I always get the feeling, Bruce, that so many brands just feel like they have to be on every single platform they can. And I don't think that's always the case. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Omnichannel and all the different platforms. But what, I'm going to go into your second question first, because it was, okay. how do you know which platforms to go in, right? And then your yep. first question yep. was, right, which platforms do you go in? Is that right? It's like, you know, there's so many, pick it. Yep. Right? And yep. so for me, it starts off in understanding your audience, right? That's what you have to understand first. Who is your audience? Where are they at, right? And oh, by the way, those aren't hard things to figure out today. 10 years ago, yes. Five years, five years ago, maybe. But today, if you know who your audience is, right, and you have not only your own first-party data, right, but you also are leveraging maybe second, third-party data to create lookalikes, you know who your audience is based off the personas or the cohorts you've created. Full stop, right? And then as you double-click through those, now you know where they play, right? You know where they're looking on social. Why Facebook over Instagram? Why TikTok over Facebook, et cetera, right? Are they opening their emails? I could go on. They look at the gas pump, Steve, right? Whatever there is, you know. And then once you capture that, you bring that in, then you start working with your media team to figure out what that strategy is. How are we going to reach these audience in the most effective way to deliver the highest return, right? That's what we're looking at trying to accomplish here. So if we don't do that first, you're right. Oh, 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 there's one other thing I forgot about. What's your budget, right? Because mm. if you have hundreds of million dollars in a budget to play with, you have that flexibility to go across that. So you're trying to you know, find that consumer, if you will, right? Versus being really razor sharp saying, we have a mission, we have a strategy, we know where they are, and this is where we're going to be. We're going to leverage TV for branding. We're going to use digital for direct response, if you will or out of home for direct response, depending on what it is, right, uh, that we're trying to accomplish. I'm going to piggyback on your gas pumps. You can use gas pumps for direct response. I think about Shell. You drive into Shell, you do it. Hey, join our loyalty program to save 25% off gas. Guess who's going to do it? You can scan the QR code and do it right there. Not only do they capture the consumer, they have it in their database now, and now they have a loyal customer, potentially, right? So you have to decide, what do we have in budget? Who's our audience? Where are they at? And what's the least path of resistance to convert them? Yeah. And I think, and I was just having this conversation with someone else the other day about the quote, tried and true methods of like email, for example, you know, don't discount that because it's quote, not sexy or digital and even direct marketing still as a, as a place for some brands. That's right. I mean, look, I remember, so I was in the SMS game, you know, in my career. And, you know, I remember when it came out, oh my God, direct response, but right on the consumer's phone, they're not used to it. You're going to get immediate gratification, not only for the consumer, but for the brand, if you will. It's a win-win for everybody. Email was like that too at one point, (laughs) right? So for this to, you know, evolve, it's like everything's noisy today, right? So how do you make your message or your call to action really impactful so you still stand out? That's what you have to accomplish. Yeah. 
it's so simplistic, my gosh, about just find where your customers are, your prospects are, and just go there. <laughs> I know that's... Yeah. I mean, look, you can go fish in other ponds. You just have to have the right bait to reel into the boat. Exactly. Right? Yep. That's what it comes down to. I mean, I remember, I want to say 15 years ago, there was this cartoon. It was a you know couple of guys on a boat fishing and they were trying to get all these fish in, but they had the wrong boat, right? And it was a marketing analogy, right? Like you can only get so many for fish in the right pond, if you will, right? It's yes, you need to fish in the right pond, but you also have the right bait to lure them in. Exactly. And you may have to test it, but that's okay. That's the point. I mean, that's Absolutely. marketing 101. Yeah. If you're not testing, you're not learning, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. Okay. Preparing for this, <laughs> and I thought I knew you. <laughs> But I love when I learn things, even about someone I've known as long as someone I've known as long as you have. This superstition that you have, oh, and I'm just going to tee it up because I want the audience to hear what your superstition is. I'll just leave it there. Just take it from there. What is your superstition when it comes to marketing advertising? <laughs> Here we go. Right. So everybody, you know, Matt, I should say everybody has superstitions. But early in my career, I worked for a minor league hockey team. And as we all know, hockey players have superstitions, especially when it comes to the playoffs, right? Oh, yeah. So I just wanted to tee that up the right way. So, you know, when I'm down a path of not only develop a strategy, but actually going to shoot for that, right? Whether it's uh, film or photography, if you will, you go on these shoots. Sometimes they're three days, sometimes they're 10 days, depending on what you're doing. So for me, my superstition is that because uh, anything can go wrong. Anything go wrong. And so once we crack the first day, I continue the rest of that shoot wearing the same colorful, most imaginary socks. That's what hmm. I do. I don't take them off. I even and sleep with them. I-, <laughs> <laughs> I, even sleep, I even sleep with them. So I love it. You know, look, anything go wrong, right? Whether talent doesn't show up, you get permits pulled. Hey, you know, photographers, yeah. don't, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Oh, by the way, you go over and you're having to play double time, right? And the list goes on of the things that can happen. So I continue to do that. And it's something that I just, it works for me. You know, what can I say? Well, that's just it. You just hit the nail on it. It works for you. That's and right. you don't overthink it. I don't overthink it. It's just something I do. But I do have, you know, about four pairs of these socks that, uh, and everybody knows, <laughs> Because, you know, I either have my feet up on the chair, someone sees them or whatever, and it becomes this thing on the set. So it's pretty funny. So let's get into something that's really near and dear to me. And I know it is to you. And that's just the high level role of the CMO. Yeah. Right. And we all know the average tenure, blah, 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 blah. The CMO is the shortest in the C-suite. So two-part question for you. Why does that continue and what can a CMO do to kind of buck that trend? Yeah, it's just a really good question. I think it goes down to this. The tenure, I think as the stats say, two and a half years, the average tenure of a CMO. I think it goes down to this is that, you know, what happens is that when a CMO, a new one comes into an organization, there's a ton of pressure, ton of pressure. And it's not about getting integrated so much into the organization. It's about you know, some low-hanging fruit. Let's try to get this done quick. Let's try to get some results in as quick as possible. And so I think, you know, and as leaders, as marketers, we want to do that. We want to just lean right in and go right after it. But I think it's taking a step back and understanding truly, what is the problem we're really trying to solve here, right? 
or problems we're trying to solve here. What's happening in the organization that got us here that's not getting us there? By the way, it's a great book if you uh, haven't read it yet. What got you here won't get you there. So to me, I think mm-hmm. you have to allow yourself to take a step back and understand not just the organization and the how it's set up and how it's performing, but also the teammates that you're going to be working with, right? There's always going to be those opportunities for you to really learn what's happening so you can fix the problem, right? There's too many times that a marketer gets in and, oh, by the way, I don't really believe that that two and a half years is always that the company is letting them go. I think the marketer is also leaving. I think there's a combination Mm. of you. And it's because if you can't fix it and you hit your head so many times against the wall because it can't be fixed with internally the brand, you have nothing to do but leave, right? So for me, I think it's getting into the organization, understand it, give yourself time. And I don't want to be cliche and say, hey, take that 90-day window and really dig in. But yeah, take the 90-day window, but dive in. Don't float. Learn all aspects. Have an agenda, what you're trying to solve for, and that will help you in your longevity. But once again, and I think it goes back down to your question, Steve, is can they save themselves from being much longer than two and a half years? I think they can. I think they can. But it all depends on the expectation of the board, the C-suite, yeah. your teammates at the C-suite. And once again, how much rope are they willing to give you so you can actually go push the envelope? Everybody has an agenda. And as long as you're part of that and you can help set it, you're in good shape. Well, exactly. And it kind of ties into a belief I have. And in fact, I think you and I even talked about this is from the CEO board's perspective, rest of C-suite, you have to ask yourself, what kind of CMO do I need? Right? Because you know, not every CMO is, right? But as the CMO going in for an interview, to me, it's imperative on them to ask the right questions because they know what kind of CMO they are in the first place. I think sometimes, more often than we realize, CMO roles get filled at a very high level. I need a CMO, I'm going to hire a CMO. And the CMO goes, okay, I'm a CMO. And then within that 90 days or right around the 90 days or six months, it becomes apparent that it's not the right fit. Well, if you had done that diligence up front, you know what I mean? You agree with that? No. I mean, look, and we as CMOs that, you know, we have different disciplines, right? Yeah. And we're good at certain disciplines, right? Branding could be a good discipline you're in. Digital, right? The list goes on of what you're good at. Right. You may have preview of all the different disciplines, but what are they really good at? And that's what you just talked about is the organization saying, oh, I need a digital marker. Do you really? What's going on with the brand? How's the brand health going today? Right. And so that's where the organization needs to be really uh, educated on. To your point, what do they really need? Because that's the misconception. I get in. I, I hired a brand marketer or a CMO that's more focused on brand. Yeah. But is that what you wanted? Because if you really know what you wanted, that's what you got. And you and I both know with all the friends that we have out there that are CMOs, that happens more often than not. Exactly. And all that gets then rolled up into one, which leads to the average tenure being what it is. That's correct. That's correct. That is correct. So I think it's truly in the interview process, if you have that opportunity, really dig in, ask the right questions, make sure they understand what they're looking for and what you're going to provide to them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the onus is on both sides. Yep. Absolutely. Right. I really, be, you know. It is. 
It cannot just be I'm applying for a role of a CMO or I'm posting a job for a CMO. There's got to be more to it than that. That's right. And go beyond the the job description, right? You read these job descriptions half the time. They're very general in in nature. But sometimes when they are specific, they really don't know what they're looking for sometimes, right? Sometimes exactly right? And so then you end up going through call after call trying to find, you know, is this the right fit, right? Exactly. And really dig into the values of the organization as well. Do they align to yours, right? They don't always have to be, but think about the values, the cultural values, the missions. Right? Yeah. Really think about that because that's also a break. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Hey, looking at your career as a whole, I mean, is there anybody, one person you would go, that person probably had the biggest impact on my career? Huh. You know, I haven't thought about that in a, quite a while and you didn't even team me up for this. So there is, there is. And I remember when I was in college and I started a little mobile detail business and I had the opportunity to meet this man and him and his brother owned a Miller distributing distribution organization for Miller in Fort Myers, Florida. I mean, I got to meet him because he was looking to have his Jaguar detailed. And so his name is Brian Smith and mm-hmm. Brian Smith really took the time to understand what I was going to trying to accomplish. He was intrigued that I started a company while I was in college. By the way, I need the money. (laughs) (laughs) And he asked me what I was trying to do. And because he owned that distribution, Miller Distribution there in Fort Myers, he was the one putting beer into the Fort Everett Blaze Arena. And he's like, hey, I can get you, uh, have you a conversation with the president over there if you're looking to do an internship. And the rest is history. But Brian and I have mm. worked together a few times in between that. He helped me with uh, another company that I formed as well. Just he always pushed me, always had something positive to say. And we didn't have anything positive to say. You knew it. An amazing man, gentleman that I still speak to. Mm. Okay. We're coming up towards the end here. And I always wrap up every interview the same way. You can't see it because you're only listening, but Bruce can see it. Behind me is a wall of album covers, and I'm a big, big music fan, very eclectic. My favorite song of all time is Lean On Me by Bill Withers. Mm -hmm. Lyrics have always resonated with me. If I say to you, is there a song, is there a lyric, is there even a group or an album that just has always resonated with you for one reason or another, whether the lyrics resonate, the beat, (laughs) you know, gets you moving, what comes to mind, you know, when it comes to the world of music? Wow. You took me completely off guard on this. Yes, I see your albums back there, and I promise not to steal anything. But <laughs> for me, my all-time that I maybe want to call my anthem, if you will, mm-hmm. will be Journey, Don't mm-hmm. Stop Believing. Okay. And it's because you shouldn't stop believing. Right? I think that there's another element to that when I said earlier about being curious, right? If you stop being curious, you stop believing, if you will. And, and I believe that for me, if, if I stop believing, I stop being curious, I stop pushing, and I lose my soul. So, mm. so I got to believe. I got to believe. And I believe that there's always good right out there, knowing that there's bad. But I know that there's ways that, um, that me as a professional can help our consumers believe, not only in the brand and the product mm-hmm. and the services that we're offering, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, it makes sense. And knowing you as well as I do, I'm not surprised to hear that's <laughs> your anthem. So it was either that or I have a few others I, though. So I know one of them would be an ACDC song. I know that. Well, it was going to be their Thunderstrut, right? <laughs> There's just right. something about it. Like when that guitar starts going in the beginning, it's like, oh yeah, let's get going. You know, we're going to have a great day. <laughs> So it's just to pick me up going. Uh, I do love ACDC. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to wrap it up staying in the sound category, whether a sound theme here. As I was putting together my studio and I have my album covers, you know, and music, and I always want to ask people about music. And this phrase came to me and it's the sound of marketing. And I went, hmm, what does marketing sound like? So I'm hitting you with that very, very high level, what <laughs> kind of question is that? What does marketing sound like to you? A symphony of all the instruments coming together to play that perfect tune, right? Yep. In total harmony. It's not high. It's not low. It's very streamlined, right? But in the moments that matter, right? And so to me, that's what marketing is. Symphony with all the horns, all the percussion, everything hitting at once, right? And perfect harmony. Yeah. 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 Yep. Again, like a lot of things that we talked about, there's no wrong answer. There's not. I was going to say ACDC again, <laughs> but it's not, right? I mean, I think there's moments when that plays, but for me, the sound of marking is a symphony. It's like everything is just perfect. In unison and harmony. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody knowing their role. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, my friend, for those of you listening, this is nothing for me and Bruce to have conversations. We're just recording it. But I cannot thank you enough for coming on. You are my brother from another mother. I love you dearly, man. So thank you. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, Steve. This has been a blast. I am so excited for you on this journey. And I hope everybody not only listens to all these episodes, but make sure that you leverage them. There's a lot of great stuff happening to Steve. So thanks, Steve. Yeah, thank you so much. And no, I did not pay him to say that. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again. Bye-bye. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Well, that wraps up another episode of the CMO Whisperer Show. I hope you shared this episode with your friends. And if you have not already, please subscribe to be kept up to date on all the latest episodes. And if you're so inclined, leave me a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you.